Do it. Do it. Welcome to the Austin Otaku Podcast, hosted by Jesse McDonald and Keith Goode. All right. Welcome back to the Austin Otaku Podcast, now officially named the Austin Otaku Podcast. My name is Jesse McDonald. Uh, I will be your one of your co-hosts today. And returning with me is the fabulous Keith Good. I'm fabulous. Keith Good. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Um, just fabulous on a Friday. Welcome back to the Austin Otaku Podcast. How are you doing, Keith? I'm splendid, thank you. Uh, it's been a busy week. We've had a lot of work going on, but you know what? I've actually been doing a lot of work on the side as well. Uh, awesome. We should actually have an official uh, website and web presence uh, by the end of the weekend. What do you know? The SEOs were like, hey, let's build a website as well. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> so yeah, you it's... should be able to find anything you need to see about us uh, probably uh, as a Let's just call it Sunday um, <laughs> at uh, www.austinotaku.com. That's awesome. Yeah, Keith's been working really hard on the site, and it looks it looks great. So we're excited for that to go up. And as soon as that's up, we can build our RSS feed and then get all of the episodes onto any major podcast resources out there. So your Spotify, Apple Music, things like that. So keep an eye out for that if you are one of the, I believe, 10 people that listened to the first episode. Hey, and they can be the ones that said, I remember when <laughs> that podcast went nowhere. Just kidding. When we were an underground band. <laughs> so we're very excited to have our second episode, but first official episode with our new format and our very first guest. And our first guest Ever on this podcast is a dear friend of both of ours, former semi-work companion, almost kind of like a work cousin, um, but amazing friend, a human being I consider a brother, uh, Topher Cohan. Topher, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm super excited to be here. And oh my God, first guest. Ah! It's like first comment, but better. Yeah, totally. Totally. You, you, you're our... our I guess you would say our guest cherry, and this is this is popped. That's wrong. Oh dear! <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm gonna have to edit that out. Nah, leave that in. All right, <laughs> leave that in. Won't have so, my yeah. mom listen to this one. <laughs> one of the eleven people that will listen to this <laughs> one will <laughs> will hate this. But yeah, thanks again for for being on. When we we posted that we were doing this, you were the very first one to express interest, and I I could could not think of another human being that I would, would like to have had as the first guest. So thank you again for doing this. No problem. I, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I so, personally would have rather had Patrick Stewart, but you know, Hey, make I, it. So I, if you I, can make that, so all about it, if you can get Patrick Stewart, you can tell him he was the first guest. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. And then if you can get Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen at the same time, then this is your podcast moving forward. You don't need me anymore. Mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> so uh for those that listened to the last episode it was a little more of an experiment a little more improv uh spitball just keith and i running with a theme but we decided uh moving forward with guests we were gonna kind of make sure that we had questions lined up and we're we're fully prepared for this so it became an exciting conversation and stick around for the end where we're going to do our lightning round where keith asks some of the tougher questions uh to our guests and we're gonna 
see about making that a recurring theme. So stick around or fast forward to the very end. So uh, right out of the gate, uh, Topher, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, personally and professionally. Uh, wow. I, my voice decided to change during the podcast. Um, <laughs> Welcome to puberty. I was going to say right? puberty is a hell of a thing, man. You'll get I through know. this. I know, right? Uh, so I'm Topher Cohan, as, um, as Jess said. Uh, I am a professional SEO, have been for um, a little longer than I care to admit in public. Um, before that, I worked in the entertainment industry as a tour manager and production manager and lighting designer. I did local regional theater. I did a lot of touring with ballet and, and some um, rock and roll bands along the way. Um, then got into doing SEO through a little side business I had. Um, most people who are in the SEO industry know me as the guy who was the SEO at for Turner Digital News for CNN.com. And then I moved from there, did some agency work. And then from there, I went on to weather.com, which um, is how I became work cousin for these two when IBM bought them. Uh, and then from I left recently left uh, IBM slash the, the weather company and moved over to Cox Automotive. And now I'm the senior manager of SEO for them for autotrader.com and kbb.com and some of their sites. That's awesome. Yeah, it's you've, you've had such an interesting career journey and it's 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 one of those things where as soon as i i met you and you told me a little bit about yourself i was like oh this guy knows what's up so so we know a little bit more about you professionally what what does your non-professional life look like um i usually sit in dark rooms a lot drinking bourbon rocking back and forth listening to sarah mclaughlin but good call good call no um, uh, i'm a um I'm a, I'm a geek i'm a pretty big geek i have been my entire life i'm the I'm the right generation that I saw Star Wars in the movie theater in 1977 and picked up playing all those games that the church told me I was going to go to the hell for playing um, in the in the late 70s, early 80s and everything in between. I, you know, played early video games. I had Atari 2600 Uh, back in the day. And, and to be fair, um, we, we should probably state that none of us knows whether or not we're actually in hell right now. We could be. I mean, it's it is very, 2020. That's a very true fact. It's a very true fact. Um, but this is not the hell I learned about in church. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, so um, so that's my thing. I'm a, a, you know, if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter or stuff like that, I take lots of pictures of me cooking on my grills, which I love to do, or of me painting miniatures for my tabletop games uh, and of my dog, which, you know is um she's going for a record being fourth month in a row of employee of the month for the for the for the company so hey. fingers crossed she gets it fingers crossed hey. very nice <laughs> yeah that's but one yeah. of the things i noticed uh, when you wrote back in and, and you submitted your form um because you and i you know jesse and i were talking about how how many areas we overlap with our own venn diagrams uh and i for you and me um our venn diagrams have overlapped uh, obviously in SEO, uh, right. obviously uh, at IBM as uh, as a former IBM or yourself, and uh, Star Wars. That was sort of our biggest connecting point, I think, because yeah. you and I are both uh, classic Star Wars kids. Uh, nineteen seventy seven, the class of nineteen seventy seven, I would call us because we were there uh, at the time. But uh, tabletop gaming, um, I, I I knew. Obviously, that you were uh, you'd mentioned being a dungeon master in the past. And um, tell me how you got into that. I can't remember if it was 79 or 80, but somewhere in that period. Right. So late 70s, early 80s. uh, I my dad and my mom and dad bought me 
what is now called as the red box, which was the starter <laughs> set for basic Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I, um, I had no one to play with. So let's be very clear. I got this box. It was like the Holy grail in my hands. I, I'd seen the commercials and, you know, read about the ads in the back of some comic books. So I'm sure I said I wanted it. Um, and, um, and I went through and I read it 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 and then I read it and then I read it and I read it. And I just, I just fell in love with the idea of I could be someone else somewhere else. Right. This is long before I knew people made a living. Like, I guess I intellectually understood that the people on TV weren't really driving a van with a red stripe on the side of it. And, you know, <laughs> I, I guess I intellectually understood that, but I didn't get the fact that you could make a living pretending to be someone else. And so I did that. And, um, and uh, it wasn't till I guess about two or three years later that I met some kids in my neighborhood who were playing advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which was the next step up. That's the first hard books. And I started playing with them and I, I thought this was really great. The funny part, this is pr that's probably the last time in my life that I knew every single rule of Dungeons and Dragons by heart. <laughs> um, so, so I played that and I enjoyed the heck out of it. And I really did. I went off to college and went to Virginia Commonwealth University. Go Rams. Uh, and they had a school-sanctioned gaming club, which was totally cool. And I met these guys, and I uh, started playing D&D &D with them. And I played all these other t tabletop games. There was a game called Champions, where you were these giant robots. I mean, robots and superheroes. And I played Cthulhu Gaslight, all these really cool games, and had met some really cool people and enjoyed the heck of it. And then this thing called Second Edition Dungeons & Dragons came out, and I stopped playing. By the way, most purists in Dungeons and Dragons will tell you second edition is probably their favorite edition. It wasn't because I didn't like it is that I was a broke college kid and couldn't afford new books. <laughs> and so all of my friends started playing the second edition. So I kind of just drifted away from it. And I did I drift away from it for a really long time. I would pick it, pick up, you know, an occasional dungeon magazine, you know, the official magazine every now and then, or every now and then I'd be in a bookstore when you, you'd still go to a bookstore and see the new player's handbook or dungeon master's guide on the shelf. And I'd flip through it. But I kind of just stopped playing it. But I really kind of got the bug. But I, didn't, I don't, didn't have time to commit to it and everything. I started working at CNN. And um, I, uh, as, as you guys probably know, most people who know me know, I got really lucky when I was there. Not long after I started there, they started their blog system. Right? They were uh, one, if not the first, one of the first clients on WordPress's VIP, which allowed them to spin up blogs pretty quickly. And one of the blogs that they spun up was called Geek Out, geekout.cnn.com. It was a geek culture blog. And I did a couple things for them. One of those things I did was I wrote uh, every every Wednesday, I did a lineup of what comic books came out. And I got to interview some really great people, Stan Lee, Kevin Smith, McFarlane, a bunch of great people um, about the comics and stuff. I wrote about um, uh, pop culture in general and everything. But then uh, I saw this ad. It's the first time in my life ever a Facebook ad has had a profound change on my life. But it was a Facebook ad for this new thing called D&D Adventurers League. Right? This is during the fourth edition of Dungeons & Dragons. And it was, it, was, it was very much, it was every Wednesday. You go to your local friendly gaming store. It's two hours long. You, can, you don't have to show up. You show up with a pencil and that's it. You don't have to show up with a pencil. Just show up, say, I want to play. They'll give you a, a pre-generated character, some dice, a pencil, you sit down and you play for two hours. If you can make it next week, you get to continue on. If not, that's totally cool. It, come back whenever you can. And I thought, well, this is awesome. This is what I want. So I went to another friend of mine, uh, Larry Frum. Peace out, Larry. Uh, he'd become my writing partner for a couple of things. 
Before that, I did a video podcast for CNN called for CNN's um, tech section called Tech Torture with Topher. <laughs> where it was a video podcast. And it was, this was going to remember this was 2008, 2009. So the iPhone was relatively new. There was no iPads yet. Um, and they would do things like take away. I couldn't use my computer internet unless I was in the office. How did that affect me? I went to a conference. I went to SMX East, I think. And I couldn't use my laptop. I had to do the entire conference on my phone, on my iPhone. This was an iPhone 2, right? So to see wow. if, if you could do that kind of stuff, right? And then I would record these little vignettes and say, this is the, this is the problems I'm having. Here's the issues I'm having. Right? Uh, so Larry helped me with that quite a bit. And so he kind of became my writing partner. And they sent us to this store. We reached out to the Wizard of the Coast, who now own the rights to Dungeons & Dragons. They said, yep. They picked a, a store for us to go to. The store loved it because they got like a crate of like Watsy D&D swag to put up in the store to make it look good for the two <laughs> guys from CNN, right? Uh, and we went and played and we I, you know, we finished up. We came like halfway through the first season of this thing. And then we wrote the article and it went out. Well, I went back and kept playing and kept playing and kept playing. And then my local friendly gaming shop started doing it. And then and so then I became a um, – uh, I started running Wednesday Night D&D for them. The thing that really kind of changed it all for me is that I got this random call from the PR department at Wizard of the Coast, and they said, hey, can you get to Seattle? Can can you get to Redmond, Washington? And I was like, okay. So we, 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 we want you to come on up. You know, if, you know, obviously because you're a journalist, we can't pay for, you know, flight or hotel or anything, but we'll take care of everything else while you're there. We can't really tell you what it's about, but we think you'll like it. So it was myself, someone from a prominent blog, someone from the New York Times, and someone from um, uh, Forbes were invited. And that's when they announced the new, they, when they told us about the new version of Dungeons & Dragons, D&D 5th Edition. And so I wrote about it, had the article about it. Long story short, I enjoyed it. I then started part, um, uh, pro bono working for Wizard of the Coast, promoting um, organized play in the Southeast, I walked away from that because of how, you know, I had the jobs and that kind of stuff and I didn't have time for it. And then I've been running D&D ever since. This was like, you know, 2008. I got back into it, 2009. I got, um, I've been running a home game in both editions. Now we're running it online via a, a virtual tabletop. Um, and I still, up, um, until the, to the uh, coronavirus happened, every Wednesday I go to a local friend gaming store. We have about 60 to 70 people show up and they sit down and they play D&D and I make sure everything runs smoothly. That's awesome. So, and that was probably way more information than you guys wanted. I'm really sorry. No, that's perfect. <laughs> perfect. That's fine. awesome. See, it's it's really interesting. Um, I I mean, obviously, I'm a I'm a little bit younger. Uh, not making an age joke, just that's a fact. Um, and I, in middle school, high school, three E was a big thing. D and D three E. So I've always held that as the gold standard. Um, especially in my friend group. And I mean, it was one of those things where I didn't play a huge amount, but it was very inspirational to me. I've always found it very almost overwhelming, but I have little spurts where I get into it. Uh, and actually the week before um, we went full work from home at IBM and kind of the quarantine started, Keith and I uh, hung out with our other friend from work, Jeremy Candelis, and my wife, who was still pregnant at the time, and I ran a campaign. I started up a campaign and I have nice. a few few little side adventures planned out, but we just haven't been able to get to it since my daughter was born. So I've 
I've always really looked to you as a as a a source of good information and inspiration for D and D. There's been a few questions I've asked you, and you've always been so super helpful. Um, but one thing I was wondering, because we've talked a little bit about some other games, um, I had this idea for a story uh, last year um, and was trying to turn that into an RPG. So I was doing some research and was asking you about the Star Wars tabletop game. Um, but I was wondering, what what is it about D&D specifically that resonates so so heavily with you? And I mean, I know that you play other games, but why do you always go back to something like D&D? I think it's two reasons. One, it is the world's largest tabletop role-playing game. It's played by more people than any other tabletop role-playing game in the world. So there's a lot of people to talk to it about, and it's just a lot of resources for it. That's number one. Number two, uh, as much as I love Star Wars, and you know, Star Wars is, is my first and true love in, on the planet outside of my wife, and I don't know, I think it could be tied with my dog. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I've... I love the the medieval fantasy setting, you know. One of the first novels I remember remember reading was a D&D novel. I shouldn't say that. Obviously, the first book that – the book that changed me uh, oh, for to make a reader was The Hobbit, right? I, I read The Hobbit. And so, obviously, early D&D, the original D&D, was, was very heavily influenced by Tolkien and The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. So it was an easy move for me. The uh, Tolkien estate actually sued Gygax for some stuff, didn't he? Right. The, the 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 race that is now called halflings were called hobbits in the original printing of the original rule set. Ooh. And things like int are spelled differently now. So it's yep. more like ant uh, yep. and it has to say tree ant. Yep. Uh, so there's yeah. a, a bunch of little things that still resonate. That's interesting. Uh, there's a funny thing is the fact that I think it's five. There are only five monsters in all of Dungeons and Dragons that they own. Really? Yeah, everything else is pulled from public domain slash mythos and lore. But yeah, there's five creatures, monsters that they created for the game. Oh, interesting. Huh. I, I, isn't it, if I'm remembering correctly, isn't orc spelled differently in D&D than it is yep. in the Tolkien yep. universe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an infamous book that came out in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons called Deity and Demigods, which they had, mm -hmm. if you're a, a Michael Moorcock fan, they had Elric of Moldavar. <laughs> um and storm and, and stormbringer in the book his his hmm. sword um and there was a and the 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 publishing company said you can't do this and they said but we have a letter from Moorcock's estate from Moorcock himself they said yeah yeah but we own the rights with the publishing company so they had to republish the book oh, wow. some issues with they put cthulhu stuff in in books and most cthulhu's public domain but the way they put it in there actually um chaos there's another gaming company owned the rights to this specific kind of Cthulhu monsters and Cthulhu mythos because they'd licensed it from um, Lovecraft estate kind of thing. Yeah. There's been a couple of times, a couple of missteps along the way in the early days of TSR hobbies. I, I'm really curious about your uh, impression of, you know, real world props and how do they actually enhance the game uh, from what you've seen? So it's funny you say that. Um, I, I'm a big fan of having some, you know, whether there's two schools of thought, it's the theater of the mind. Like I'm just going to paint a picture for you with words and, and, um, and then you're going to go on and you ask me questions, you go, but, uh, which I, I've done and I do. Uh, but if, when I was having in-person, in-person games, people were coming to my house uh, every, 
uh, once a month or you know twice a month, depending on schedules. I would do very well to try to build and put 3D, some sort of 3D scenery and or props on on the table. Some of the stuff I bought, there's lots of companies that make the stuff now. You know, um, two of my players have 3D printers. So if I ask for a very specific item, like a like I need this one specific thing to sell this, like a throne or whatever. Um, I have these little teleportation rings in my world that helps me as a DM get them from point A to point B much faster. <laughs> so one of the players, <laughs> I found a file on Thinkiverse that was the perfect thing if they made this one adjustment. And one of my players was like, yeah, I could totally do that and made the adjustment and printed me out five of them. So I painted them up and I used them, you know, throw them on the table whenever that has to happen, right? Um, uh, I, there's a pretty big community out there of of people who this is what they do, especially on YouTube. Um, one of the guys who DMs and plays with me at Titan Game of Comics, a guy named DM Jim. He's the he's the uh, tabletop engineer um, YouTube channel, uh, and he's uh, that's what he does. He shows you how to take you know insulation foam from Home Depot and cardboard from your cereal boxes and make really great scenery that looks good on your table. Uh, I think it just it adds that next thing. Do you need it? By no, not even a little bit. Uh, but I think it adds that next level right now. I have never gotten into something like LARPing, live action role playing. I know I have lots of friends who do. The rock and roll for them, if 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 that's their their creative outlet. Um, but the the idea of me personally going hanging out in the woods and, and you know in a cloak and throwing um, sandbags at people screaming fireball is not my idea <laughs> of no. It, it, I I, I want to make sure I'm saying this that I'm not making fun of those people. Those that, that's their that's their geekdom, and I support all geekdoms. If they want to go out and do that, rock and freaking roll, man. If that's how you and your group of friends, you know, the, um, tell a story because that's all tabletop RPGs are. I don't care if it's Star Wars, D and D, Traveler, Cyberpunk, whatever. It's just telling a cooperative story with you and your friends. And that's the reason I keep coming back to it, man, is that I get to tell this cool story with my friends and they get to help me tell the story. It's not my story. It's their story. I just help them tell it. And I just think that's so freaking cool, man. I loved it. I ran a D and I mean, I ran a star Wars game for a while. I ran a star Wars tabletop game for a while, the new fancy flight system. And it was cool. I said it, you know, what would now be the post rogue one pre uh, Star Wars time period, uh, and it was just a fun because I get to tell Star Wars stories, and that was just cool. That group broke up, and I never really got it back up together, which makes me a little sad. But yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of my feeling. I think it enhances enhances it pretty greatly, like you know, and, I, and in my mind, at least with my players and the way in my storytelling. But no, I you know I don't I don't think you need it. I I just find it cool, and I like to make things. Yeah, no. yeah, and if if you get a chance, I don't know if you've had a chance to see this or not, but there's a there's a fantastic video on YouTube of uh, of Joe Manganiello's uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons group in Hollywood, and it's a bunch of Hollywood elites that show up at his house, which has some incredible props on the table. Um, if you get a chance to look this video up, um, it, I think it was a, a piece done by Variety. Uh, yep. But, you know, they've got Vince Vaughn, you've got Tom Morello, you've got uh, Paul White, the big show that um, are yep. a part of this game. You know, just powerhouse people. And you're like, wow, these guys are all into this. And, of course, the the layout the, the, that they've got on the table is just awe-inspiring. Uh, but it's it's really it's really interesting to see someone. Uh, I mean, they, they they call them Hollywood elites. I don't know if any of those guys are, you know, the elite, so to speak. <laughs> but they're but they're certainly well known folks. And um, and the fact that they, despite being in very creative roles in their careers, 
still play Dungeons and Dragons and still need that creative outlet, it's amazing to me. And I, th- I think it certainly puts uh, sheds new light on um, on the hobby in general. Uh, and certainly in, in my old sort of puritanical Southern Baptist upbringing, it, it sort of, again, gets gets rid of some of that old stigma that's associated. Unless, of course, um, Topher, you have, in fact, worshipped the devil during one of your uh, one of your storytelling times. Not the devil per se. Let's be clear about this. Uh, so I, so I, I, I have seen that video, and he, there's another one where he shows off his. Uh, I don't think it's his house anymore. I think they like just sold that home, but he bought a house in L.A. with his wife, um, Figueroa, and they found that there was an old wine cellar there that she wanted to turn into like a Pilates dance room, yep. and he turned into a D and D room. Uh, I think it's those my moments. It's and then you know there's the they call them actual actual play video podcasts. Critical Role is by far the best known yep. of those yep. um, where they have kind of, you know, if you're a geek, you know, M- Matt Mercer, because he voices probably half a dozen of our favorite video game <laughs> characters. Right. You know, I, I, you know, I'm a huge McCready fan and, and Overwatch and, you know, and, you know, I knew Mercer, you know, did that. And there's lots of other really smart people in that, in that you know, fun people in that group. And uh, they've kind of brought this mainstream where I, this isn't a show that's on the internet for three hours every other week and people watch it like they're like it's appointment television and they get into the, into the Twitch channel and they talk to them. They built a real community there. I think, you know, if you, if you want to know if D and D's mainstream or not at from, from San Diego comic-con at home, they have panels of people playing Dungeons and dragons. The biggest pop culture event in the calendar year has put a time aside for to You can watch people play Dungeons and dragons. That's that's the the popularity of this now. Is that good? I think it's fantastic. More people get to play this game. I love. Is it bad? Uh, at the same time, but is that you know there's there's a good with the bad. There are people. I know this for a fact. When I was at um, when I was still running the every Wednesday at my local friendly gaming shop, which I'm going to give a shout out to Titan Games Comics here in Smyrna, Georgia. Uh, Mike, Katie, Leo, and Jay and Caleb run a great shop. 100% friendly to everybody, boys, girls, and everything in between. If you Hey, make sure to send us a link to them so we can put I them will. in the deep show notes we have. Indeed. I will. I will. Um, they, um, they are by far the most welcoming store I've ever been in, in my life. Um, and we've had people come in and play and sit down and play. And at the end of the night, I, I you know, with new players, I always I'll go up to them and go, hey, how, how did it go? You know, did you have fun? You know, I'd love some feedback. He goes, well, it was cool and all, but you know, it wasn't like watching Critical Role. Hmm. <laughs> well, as much as I'd love to have professional voice actors as every one of my dungeon masters, I, I'm, I'm not going to do. I can't have that, right? And so there's a little bit of a, a downside of that. I, I'll, I'll I'll take that downside because uh, for the first time ever, D and D Dungeon and Dragons has sold more than Magic the Gathering for Wizard of the Coast. Wow! At the end of 2019, so that shows you the power of that game. And the fact that you can go into Walmart and buy the Dungeon Master's Guide, yes, or Target yeah. or wherever, is yeah. huge. No. no, you're right. You're right. You're right. The fact, the fact that there was a Rick and Morty box set, <laughs> a starter edition. There was a um, Stranger Things starter edition. Right. The fact that that exists is just it's it's pretty ma- it's pretty magical. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting that you brought up Critical Role because when I I had the idea uh, earlier in the year, of, you know, I, I really want to learn how to play this game. I, I got a couple extra books that I was missing, um, started really diving into it to to play a little bit more seriously, because normally when I would play, no one knew the rules other than the basics. So it would just be kind of like a 
make it up as you go, which is totally fine. That's a okay way to play. You don't have to know all the rules as long as you're playing. That's what matters. Uh, it's like Monopoly. Home home rules work. Um, but I wanted to know a little bit more so I could tell a story because I had a story in my head and I'm actually writing it out as we play to turn into some sort of novelization or prose of some sort. Um, but I wanted to know more. So I looked into Critical Role because I'm a I'm a big Overwatch guy. So I knew Matt Mercer. Um, and I, I love it. It's great. You can you know listen to it as a podcast. Or, so as you're working, you're listening to some really talented people play D&D. And it's really funny that you mentioned Critical Role and Keith mentioned Joe Manglinano, or however you say his last name, uh, because Joe actually, while he's done a really good job of bringing D&D to the forefront of popular culture again, he actually participated in Critical Role and actually played a really big part in the way their campaign shifted. And he has some props in his collection based off of that chunk of the story. Um, which is really interesting because what he did was huge. It was absolutely huge. Their campaign shifted everything, basically hands down on the table, got up, walked away. Everyone's jaw was on the table (laughs) and Matt Mercer just had to keep going. Um, And it was amazing. It was really cool. And he has props related to that in his D&D dungeon. I was going to ask you as someone who is big into the prop world, because I'm not necessarily... Uh, for me, it's still very much a, a storytelling element, but I don't necessarily have props. I might get into that because I do enjoy model building. Um, so it's it's definitely a, a possibility in the future. But for some reason, the the acting out your character thing is just wildly uncomfortable to me. So I don't necessarily participate in that. But the props thing is kind of a cool idea. I wanted to ask you, what's a maybe what's the most impactful usage of props that you've ever had in a campaign slash what is something that you have in your collection that means a lot to you, maybe based off of something that you've done in a campaign. So uh, I'll do the second question first. Um, Is the wizard of the coast put out a line of pre-painted minis. They -hmm. still do now. They, they use whiz kids to make them, they self-produced them before, um, and they did uh, in those they did something called icons, which were these iconic creatures from the Wizard of the Coast world, from the D and D world. And I owned the the ancient red dragon, which is like I don't know, a foot and a half tall. Compared to the Tie Fighter behind you, which we're not doing this as video, so no one can see. How big would it be? It's as tall as the wing. Okay, so that's that's a good two two and a half feet, maybe. Yeah, when they yeah when the average miniature of a of a, of a player character is about a half inch tall. Wow. Right, and so it's just, the wings are all spread, and it's breathing. It's got a fire breathing thing, and you know this. Uh, and it was a gift from uh, my cousin. He found I didn't have this in my collection, and he went and got it for me, and. It sits on my shelf, and I love that. And I love, and I have lots of little things like that of of gifts from players that I've used in games. You know, whether it's the stuff that one of my players have three D printed, or someone said, "Hey, I know you play D anD D, and I saw this and didn't know if you had it." And that it goes, I have a it goes in the room where I, where I play my games. But the piece of scenery that has most um, had the impact for me was uh, not in my current game, but my old campaign. They were traveling along and they had to fight a beholder, one of the five monsters that Dungeons mm-hmm. & Dragons created, which is uh, if you if uh, people don't know the beholder, it's uh, think of like a, a, a 
a ball with a single eye in the middle, but it has a bunch of uh, eye stalks that come out of the like, tentacles to come out of it. And there's an eyeball at the end of it. Looks like a jacked up Medusa. Yes. And it's, it's, it's evil and blah, blah, blah. Well, I really went all in and I, you know, got my pink foam from Home Depot and I, and I built the room and the walls and the whole thing and built a pedestal so the beholder would be hovering at the right height and, and, you know, did the whole boogie and the, and it was part of a thing where the thing was filling with water. Right. So there was that added, like, we've got to figure this out and get out of here because if, if we don't, we'll, we'll not only will the monster kill us, but we'll drown. Right. And to, and to simulate where that was, I, on one side of the wall, one side of the long wall, I put a slit and I took some uh, blue uh, fabric and basically would every turn would raise it slightly. And that was the height of the water. That's awesome. So the players could see easily. There's their character. This is how far underwater they, w- they were having. And then they would have to take part of their turn to go above the water to catch their breath. Right. And then go back down and fight the monster kind of thing. So that by far, I think, is the, my, the, the players who were in that campaign still talk about that moment. <laughs> and, and that and how, how how the scenery kind of added to that to the thing um uh to the uh, um anxiousness of it all that's fantastic awesome. yeah that's really fantastic i'm wondering um I, I recently have been trying to watch terrible movies on uh, amazon just finding the worst movie i could potentially find and something that popped up on my um my suggested list has was zero charisma. Have you had a chance to watch this movie before? I have. Yeah, it's actually filmed here in Austin. Uh, believe it or not. So, oh, yeah, I I, that, yeah. I, I'm curious if, if you've had an opportunity to run across people uh, like Scott from uh, from that. Have you run into anybody who's pretty much unable to to let tabletop gaming go during their their day to day life? Um. I have, um, mostly through um, promoting the game at conventions, which is what I did when I was the Southeast Regional Coordinator for Adventurers League. I would promote it at conventions and, and events and stuff. I would run into those people then. Uh, I think that the, the people in my home game are all, you know, are, are, are not that way. Um, but I think there are some people, and, and for, you know, you know I want to make sure I say this the right way, you should that there are some people that this is their escape. This is how they deal with reality. Mm-hmm. And that's totally great. That's great that yep. they found a way to do that. Um, and the, the for me personally, uh, it is part of my life. It is not my life. But for some people, it is. Um, and good for them that they found that way out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I, but, yes, I, but yes, by all means, Keith, I have run into those people. And, you know. And sometimes they are uh, uh, more well-adjusted than others. I, I hate to admit it. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm curious about your your reaction to the film because I I wondered when I was watching it is this a is this a uh, I don't know are, are they sniping people are are they basically going after uh, a, a group of people un, unkindly uh, and was you know is was this an unfair portrayal of of the D community which though at, at, in, in the movie it wasn't D, it was a, a different right know, so they could avoid copyright issues but did you feel like that was sort of an unfair uh portrayal i think they took the lowest common denominator because it made the 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 most interesting story slash easy target yeah, absolutely, and and of course, if you've been to a con of any sort, right, you've seen you've seen folks who who are they're really into it, and 
it's um, I, I think for a lot of people who I think consider themselves normal, it's very easy to judge uh, in, in those circumstances. And you can say, well, this is I'm going to basically whittle this down to the lowest common denominator and make fun of it. Yeah. So I, 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 I had that reaction to the movie myself because I felt like, well, OK, they're they're making him out to be a very bad guy and at some some point at the at the end they redeem him though so i right. I, I thought okay well now he's you know i'm not going to give away uh the plot by the way so i won't i won't spoil anything about what <laughs> happens at the end but uh you know there is a there is a road to redemption of some sort um in there but the fact is is well somebody who made this film thought there was a need for redemption yeah yeah no i i agree with that i mean there you know here in atlanta we have something called dragon con which is one of if not the largest multi genre sci-fi fantasy cons in the country uh fan run and there are people whose entire dragon con is they show up on thursday afternoon and they leave on monday afternoon and they never leave the DD area wow they don't go to panels they don't go to do other things they don't go to parties they sit and they play DD from from sunup to sundown every day and by the way that's their con and that's cool and this is their one big time and their friends there are people there that they only see that one time a year, and this is their chance to hang out with them. And this is their world. Some people might judge us uh, SEOs who go to PubCon every year and stay up past midnight hanging out with each other, <laughs> right? No, <laughs> for right. the same passion. So, right, I it's not. It. It's not the same thing. I mean, it's, I'm sorry. It is exactly the same thing. I didn't mean to say not to. It's exactly the same thing that we. Uh, it's you know a geekdom's a geekdom. I don't care if your geekdom is um, knitting and crocheting. Or if it's SEO, or if it's, you know, um, playing Dungeons and Dragons or playing video games, it's whatever it is. Yeah. You know, uh, I it's um, I think that it's it's healthy and good to have those geekdoms. Indeed. And see, I wonder, I wonder what that's if if this current pandemic is going to make those kinds of bonds stronger, especially within those geekdoms, because I know it's been it's been hard knowing that I'm not going to be able to go to PubCon this year and see my family. I'm not going to be able to see Topher. I'm not going to be able to see all the people that I see probably once a year that are truly like second family to me. Right. So I wonder what that's going to do to the kind of like the D and D community. Um, so it's funny is that uh, I've thought about that a lot too. We had a pretty strong community at, at Titans at my local the gaming store. And I think that is probably fractured now. I think that it's going to be almost like starting over. Um, cause a lot of these people, that's how they interacted was every Wednesday they would come see each other. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, if somebody's birthday fell on a Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday, you know, we would make sure we had cake for them. You know, I would call them out when I did my announcements. I did announcements cause there's always new people and make sure I went over the store rules and the general, you know, rules, everything from be kind to each other to believe it or not, I had to tell people not to put dead animals in the refrigerator. <laughs> When props go overboard. Oh, no, there was a pet store in the same um, shopping center, and somebody had bought stuff for their pet. Some, uh, it's a whole thing. Um, but, uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm with you. I'm curious what's going to happen with that. It's interesting as my home group, you know, I'm, I'm, I was friends with them. I am friends with them. You know, I, I, Two of them are really darn close friends who I've been friends for years. Another two I met playing D&D through – public play through, through titans and other places but the the playing online and because of the pandemic we have now become closer as a group like we are reaching out to each other more often to check in to make sure everybody's all right i got a i got a text message change one of my players 
after our after our game a couple, couple weeks ago saying thank you that you know that he didn't want to be a downer and everything's good but life had been kind of tough and he'd been kind of in you know um you know fighting some stuff and the fact that he got to every two weeks come and sit online and and cut some jokes with us and play some D D kind of helped him get through it and so you know i think there's a lot of that i'm seeing a lot more online games pop up and hopefully it's going to fill that niche hopefully so so it's yeah. like you were talking about this is this is a really good form of escapism for a lot of people, yep. some more healthy than others, but right. it's, it's there, it's an outlet. So when that outlet leaves, things get scary. So I'm, I'm glad everyone's adapting, but I, I do think it's interesting and I hope the community thrives as opposed to it falling apart. Cause it is a, it's become a really beautiful community in recent years. I agree. Now switching course a little bit, but not too much. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say all three of us are pretty huge Star Wars fans in some form. Um, Star Trek. I'm, sorry. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> totally joking. <laughs> I myself, big fan. I wouldn't say I'm as big of a fan as uh, Keith or even Topher, um, but pretty big fan as someone with an Ewok tattooed on my arm. Uh, I can I I can say that I enjoy Star Wars. So with being a huge Star Wars fan, Topher, how how would you say that passion for Star Wars and tabletop games intersect? Um, obviously, there is the Star Wars game, but but what what actually kind of helps them meet in the middle if they even do meet in the middle anywhere? It's funny. Um, I uh, I talked about the Star Wars um, uh, tabletop RPG, which is um, the current edition is out by a, a company called Fantasy Flight Games, and um, the my first introduction to Star Wars uh, tabletop RPG was actually an old Wizards of the Coast product, um, the D20 version of that, which I enjoyed the heck out of it. But the the tabletop Star Wars game that I'm most into today is a um, miniature tabletop uh, war game called Star Wars Legion, where you get the box with your little tiny plastic guys and you got to assemble them and paint them and and all the kind of stuff and you build an army out and they, each little guy has a, has a point value and you can, you know, Oh yeah, I'm going to play against, you know, I'm going to play against you, Jesse, and we're going to bring two 800 point armies. So I got to make sure that each you know, my points all work out and I bring them and set them up and there's rules for movement and combat and attack and all that kind of stuff. And so that, that kind of marries two of my worlds is that I love star Wars. I like miniature war games also. And I get to, you know, take little plastic dudes and, you know, assemble them and paint them which you know it's i find zen it's very zen for me i put something on on my tel on my television it's usually youtube or some um uh, you know keith is not wrong there's a plethora by the way keith if, if you want to dive deep do do an internet search for the best in quotations 80s um uh, uh fantasy movies Okay. Oh my God! There's a ton of those on Amazon Prime, <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 they're not movies that you should be spending all your time focusing on, but they're but they're great background. And I do that, and I love that. So that's the game I play. There was another game called um, uh, X Wing, which was um, a tabletop um, flight uh, combat game. It was based on a French game, which was World War One biplane fighting. Interesting. Called, called Wings of War. Fantasy Flight licensed the rule set. Um, the 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 funny part is the Wings of War. You didn't need miniatures. You had little cards that were representative of the planes. I think they put miniatures out later, but the original game just had these little cards. 
And so they took it a step further and put out miniatures. And I played that for a decent amount of time. And then it became a lot of those type of games become pay to win in my mind, where unless you have the hottest thing, that, the new figure that came out or the new ship that came out and you spend a lot of time min maxing, then you go play in public events and you just get your butt kicked. So I've been lucky. I found a group of people for Legion who are just really just want to paint some cool figures and, and, and put them on the table and reenact some Star Wars battles and have fun. Like my friend Jim, who runs Tabletop Engineers, really likes making the scenery. Like he 3D printed a correct scale um, Millennium Falcon to put on cool. the table. To um, uh, and he's done a couple crashed B wings, crashed X wings, crashed Tie fighters. Like purposely built them in the right scale, and so we we could paint them up, put them on the table as as scenery and stuff. So it's a, so that's kind of my tabletop Star Wars Jones is a I get to build a bunch of cool miniatures, and B I get to hang out with my friends and talk about Star Wars. That's awesome. That that's really great. You know, and you mentioned miniatures. I'm just wondering if if, if someone were wanting to get into miniatures, where would you suggest that they start? In any 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 sort of fundamental things that they need to have in their possession in order to do this well, or just should they just dig in wherever they want to dig in? Yeah. So I would recommend the way to go is. There's a board game. I'm trying to remember the name of it real quickly off the top of my head. Um, it's kind of the, the, there's, there's these games called gateway games, right? And Are those like gateway drugs or? Uh, almost. Oh, sorry. There, there's a games workshop, which is the, you know, 50,000 pound gorilla in the room for tabletop war games with Warhammer 40K. Oh, yes. They have a fantasy line called Age of Sigmar which is their, their fantasy world. But in there, there's a, it's almost like a board game. Like you would go and buy and, you know, have, and it has everything in you to play. It has a game board, all the pieces. And it comes in um, unpainted miniatures called um, Warhammer Underworld. I think the latest edition is Beast's Grave. Like they come up with a new version of every, every other year or so. And it basically, it comes with four or five little miniatures you put together. They give you a little paint guide. You go buy your paint, you can paint them up. You don't have to because they come in colored plastic, not just gray. So you can just put snap them together. You don't even glue; they snap together, and you can get out there, set it out there. All the rules are there. You and your friend can play this game. But the upside of that is it's a really great gateway because it gives you a small army that you can now take on to something like um, Warcry, which is the Age of Sigmar uh, skirmish game, which has much smaller models. You know, Warhammer, you can have two hundred models on the table at once. Right. This is like seven or eight models and it's really low entry cost, easy to get into. Um, if you like more sci-fi, then I would go with um, Kill Team, which is really simple kind of thing. There's some other board games. There is um, Zombicide or Gloomhaven, which use um, miniatures. And it's, it's almost like a narrative war game. But if you're looking at true, like, I'm going to move this far with a, with, a, with a ruler and attack my friends, then, yeah, I would go with either. Those because it's all inclusive. Everything you need is in the box. You don't have to buy 10 books and this and that. You buy this one thing for, you know, 50, 75 bucks, whatever the price is nowadays, and you can open it up, snap it together and play. And then you can get as detailed as you want into the hobby part of it as you want. That's the whole thing. There's two parts of wargaming. There's the playing the war game, which is a huge part of the hobby. And then there's the hobby part of the war, war game, which is just buying and putting and building miniatures. I have bought miniatures for games I'm never going to play because I just think the miniatures look really great. And I bought, you know, a small box set of like three or four miniatures for, you know, there's a game called Guild Ball, which I'm never going to play this thing. <laughs> right. Uh, it's a great game. Huge community. around it. It's a great it. name. Yeah. And, and one of the guilds is the Brewers Guild. 
Oh, nice. So it's this cool set of these like Scottish dudes in kilts with beer mugs and beer kegs. Right. And it's like, a, a, and I was like, oh, these are great. So I, so I bought them and I painted them up because I thought they looked cool. So, um, yeah, so that was my suggestion. Keith. That's a really good question is that there, and there's other games like that out there. If do a, uh, I would recommend people who want to get into it, go and do it in a YouTube search, specifically YouTube for beginner skirmish war games. Um, you know, there's one called Frost Grave, which you don't, there's no specific miniatures. You can use any kind of fancy miniatures you want. And the rules are really cheap. They're like seven or eight bucks on Amazon. I think they're 12 bucks if you buy the deluxe version on Amazon. <laughs> um, and it, it's really just, it's, it's the, like, it's super e- easy to get into. Um, so yeah, so that's my recommendation. There's some, some really, really great ones out there. Uh, I stopped playing Warhammer. I stopped, stopped playing um, uh, 440K. Uh, years and years ago, but the announcement of Ninth Edition, I'm actually getting back into it, and I've bought some some figures and some armies, and I'm starting to paint some stuff up, and because they have a new narrative where you don't have to put the two thousand point army on the board all at once, you start out small, and as you play, you get more points, and you can build your army out, so you're not dropping lots of money all at once. Nice. See, that's. Yeah, I was gonna say that's that's awesome because I'm. I've always kind of really enjoyed the miniature side. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm a big fan of model building since I was a kid. I mentioned on the last episode too, I've I've built Gunpla, which is the building of Gundam plastic model kits, which is where the word Gunpla comes from. But it's been a big thing of mine. I find it extremely zen. Um, it's something I've done since I was about 10 years old. And I, I actually, Topher, I think you built your first one not too long ago. I did. Uh, and, and also found it very enjoyable. So I'm hoping that you'll continue to be a partner in crime and building gunpla with me. Yeah. But um, there's actually a company or a Kickstarter campaign recently that is a mech tabletop game that uses gunpla as, uh, as the pieces. So you build your model kit, but then it has the secondary application of using it in game. And it's basically any robot. Uh, so you can use your star Wars or not star Wars uh, transformers, model kits, um, uh, Evangelion stuff, uh, Gundam stuff, Robotech, anything like that. Uh, and I've, I found that super interesting because, you know, for me, the, the Gundams I build are just uh, put them on the shelf, the end and having that secondary application is, is super cool. So I've, I've thought that would be a, a fun way to get into the miniature game. There's also a dark souls board game that yep. uses miniatures. And I've, I've thought about getting into that. So I'm not a big board game guy, but I'm a, I'm a super into dark souls. So yeah. I think that would be that would be a fun one as well. You know, if someone is a board gamer who wants to try out miniature gaming, I would have to recommend something like either Zombie Side or Gloomhaven. Um, both of those are uh, pretty immersive board games that can play over multiple sessions. You know, um, uh, you set it up on the dining room table, especially in a pandemic situation where you're not having people over as often, and you can have or at all you and your, your your family can play it you know every now and then i know uh, a buddy of mine uh has it on a little card table and it's the side of his room with a camera pointed down on it because he <laughs> plays because he plays with another two other friends who live somewhere else in the country and they own the same game so they've set it up and everybody does simultaneous you know when so when he finishes his moves everybody looks at the screen and goes okay and then rearranges their boards to match so when it's their turn they're looking at their board they're not looking at a screen um so uh, well, yeah. let's, let's let's be honest. I mean, you know, if, if most people were honest with themselves, um, the, the dining room is the is the least used room in the American home, I believe. So <laughs> why not go ahead and pick up one of these hobbies? Right. Exactly. 
Exactly. One of the guys in my um, gaming group just bought one of those high-end custom-built gaming dining room tables, like the kind where the top lifts off and it's recessed, yeah. has the whole thing. It, they, they just bought a new house. His wife games with him. And they have a couple of kids. They're getting into like board games and like you know, entry level games. So they needed a new dining room table for their dining room. He was like, "Okay, they want the company called Carolina Gaming Tables, which is um does some really great stuff." And so yeah, I, he received he sent us some pictures. And he goes, "I bought this big table. I thought we all could come over and play. <laughs> Maybe some." So he's sitting at one end, waving all the way at the other end to the camera, going, "Hi!" I'm like, "All right, all right, dude, you look pathetic." <laughs> That's, That's so funny. So we're getting kind of close to time, which means that we're getting into our lightning round. But one thing I wanted to ask you really quick before we get there, um, what would be something that you would, what is your like dream piece that you want for your, your gaming collection? For me, it's something, uh, my favorite creature from D&D is the Nightwalker. For some reason, don't know why, but I also love Ents, so I would love a scale model of Treebeard. But what's something that you would want in your collection that you don't necessarily have, but it's absolutely a dream of yours? Well, that's a really good question. Um, and I mean, it could even be like a first edition copy of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, but miniatures is where my head went. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two things here because of what you said at the end. Uh, the very first copies of D and D was, was were these little thin, they called the white box. They were about the mm-hmm. size of a of a, a junior size notebook. Yeah. And they were thin. Uh, and over the years, either through myself or gifts from players, I've picked up all but two of the, of the, of those books from the original run. Wow. So I would love to finish that collection off and have that whole collection. This game means so much to me. It's been, it made some great friendships and it's something I enjoy so much. It's something I really want in my world. Now for the tabletop itself, right? As much as I would love one of those really high-end Wormwood or Carolina gaming tables, <laughs> tables, uh, I, uh, my wife and I, uh, it was funny, when we moved in this house, we talked about buying one, and we decided, no, that's just, that's not the where we want to spend our, our resources. I'm I calling would, Amy. I'm going to get you one. Uh, all right. Yeah. You, you tell her what. Yeah. I want to hear later what she says. Um, okay. Uh, I would love to have a 3D like like castle that I could open up and use each of the floors. Oh, like something I could set on the table and they go in the front door and then I, I can slowly open it up as they go. So as they take the next turn, I reveal it and take the next turn and reveal it. But you know, the reality of that is not practical, right? Because a, it's yeah. going to be freaking huge. And B, once they go through it once, the, you know, as much as players, at least mine, try very hard to keep player knowledge and character knowledge separate there's always that little bit in the back of the head. They know what's around the turn. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, um, that's something like that, whether it be a giant castle or a, or a giant, you know, um, a dungeon that's set up that it's easily configurable. There are companies out there like Dwarven Forge. And now I was going to mention from, Dwarven Forge. Uh, there's a new set that just came out from whiz kids called warlock tiles, which are much more inexpensive. Um, and they're compatible with a 3d printing system. You can lock together. Um, there's these, the, the guys I was talking about earlier, the tabletop terrain guys who do all the things. Mm-hmm. There's one called um, black magic craft. And um, uh, though they, they specific have systems to build these little tiny tiles for cheap off of literally like insulation foam and, and um, uh, cereal box cardboard and build these systems. And you can build them all out and put them together and 
build it very quickly and do that kind of stuff. So it's, it's out there for me to do. I just really want, I don't know. There was a, I don't know if it was Adam Savage. I think it was Adam Savage who did a, a an interview video interview with a guy from Weta. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they did the robot game. Uh, no, this was, yes, but no, um, this was the guy, he was the model maker for the Hobbit movies, Lord of the mm-hmm. Hobbit, and he took it to the next level and he built out these gorgeous modular buildings for this fantasy village. I think they may have actually done a Kickstarter for it at some point where he was doing resin printing and mm-hmm. he was painting them and they're gorgeous. And I, like, that's what I want. I want this. I want as much as I like to build things, I would love to just show up one day and there'd be a box on my front porch. And here is the stuff that was already pre-built, pre-painted, ready to go. I slap it on the table and I run my game. Well, the Mega Millions jackpot for this week is $124 million. So there you go. make that's sure right. you get your ticket. <laughs> Good call. Good call. I hope that answered the question, Jess. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's great. Yeah. You guys ready for the lightning round? Lightning round. Can we get the rights to Thunderstruck uh, for our lightning round music for the next episode? I can just do it off key on my own guitar, and maybe that'll uh, that'll be enough to get around any copyright infringements. What do you think? You know, I don't think Angus and gang would mind anyway. Well, we should be fine. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and use it. Hey, all 10 of our listeners, don't turn us in. Just kidding. I think we'll get 11 with this one. Okay. All right. All right. Chris, you, uh, or Chris, I'm, I don't know. I called you by the first half of your first name. Uh, Topher, do you want to go for 12 or do you want to go for 13? 13. Yeah. All hey, right. Hi, good, buddy. good number. Good number. All right. Here we go. The lightning round questions and we'll finish this out for the rest of the podcast here. All right. Topher, how do you think your hobbies have contributed to your success in your full-time work? Uh, it allows me to organize and talk in front of large groups of people and help me get through to different diversities. Awesome. If you could be one fictional character, who would it be? Aragorn. Aragorn. Mm. Nice. What other interests would you like to pursue if time wasn't a constraint? Professional barbecue. Ooh, nice. Well, that is it for the lightning round. But uh, I have seen a lot of your, uh, your your rib posts on Facebook, and my mouth waters uh, each time. Uh, but nice. And you were a big Weber mm, Smoky Mountain smoker. I user. All three of my grills are Weber's. My, my gas grills are Weber. I own a 22-inch kettle and a Weber Smoky Mountain um, smoker. So, yeah, I'm a Weber fanboy. This episode brought to you by Weber. One would hope. Come on. <laughs> we need sponsors here, people. Let's do this. There's a, um, there's a video that somebody sent me because of something else of a, a guy's video podcast called Dude Dads. Jess, you should totally find this guy. It's got you written all over it, it, right? But it. every time he mentions a brand name, he would go like, Weber, not a sponsor. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> then looks at the camera and goes, Yet. So judging uh, judging by our episodes so far, let's see. What do we have so far? Funimation, not a sponsor yet. Crunchyroll, not a sponsor yet. Bandai Titan. Namco, not a sponsor yet. That's the one I'm going for. Titan I'm gonna, Games. I'm gonna, Titan Games. Let's go ahead and throw in Dungeons. Uh, I'm sorry, Dragon's Lair. Uh, let's go ahead and throw in oh, Dungeons yeah. and um, Dragons. You know. So Dragon's Lair would be our friendly neighborhood gaming store. Good. Huge comic book place, gigantic store. They have tons of games that you can play. Super cool. Pretty close to our office and where Keith lives, a little bit of a trek for me, but that that's it. The place is awesome. Uh, right. So with that, anything else we want to cover? If not, we, we can, we'll call this a wrap. 
we we be rapping. Topher's dancing for anyone that can't see because this won't have video attached to it. <laughs> I like it. Eventually, Topher we has will. A glorious beard where I shaved mine so that my daughter could not pull it, which I'm glad I did. Topher has grown in my place, and it is fantastic. Yeah, the all the gray shows in now. Like my my true age is shown. You should have seen mine right before uh, Joy was born. It was there was some 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 salt coming in. It was crazy. Too soon, too soon. Yeah. You're, too, you're too young for that. Yeah, I, we, we, with where we work, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll we'll go there. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> but again, thank you so much for being our first guest, Topher. It was an absolute pleasure. Always a joy talking with you, and an absolute honor to have you as guest number one. Heck yeah! Uh, it was my honor, uh, by all means. Um, uh, you guys are rock stars, not just in the industry we're in, but just as human beings. So this, I think this this podcast is is not just fun, but I think it's something we need because, as as you said earlier, Jesse, we're not going to get to hang out with this extended family of ours, and in, in the in the relatively near future, if not the future future, and this helps us keep keep together and let us know about these things. I know I've had conversations about magic and Dungeon Dragons and Star Wars with many people in our community sitting around the Breeze Bar for <laughs> mm-hmm. our listeners. And I think it's just, it's just it's just great. I think it's fantastic you guys are doing this. And if anybody of your listeners have any questions, don't hesitate to have them reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much. And if you if you're want to be a guest, if you, you know us or know someone interesting that you think would be uh, an awesome guest for the show, please let us know. We this isn't exclusive to the SEO industry. It's just the people that we know. So that's where we're starting. So definitely let us know and we'll uh, we'll send you a little form. You can fill it out or uh, also the website will have a form that you can fill out as for guest information if you're interested. So keep an eye out for that. But again, thank you so much, uh, Topher, for being a guest. Uh, I'm Jesse. And I'm Keith. Thank you so much. Uh, and, and have a good day, guys. Ciao for now. This has been the Austin Otaku Podcast. To learn more about us and our show, to be a guest, or to subscribe to our show, go to www.austinotaku.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.